0: The EY Ireland CEO Outlook Report is out now. Search EY.com slash IE slash CEO and discover the key topics on the minds of Ireland's leading CEOs.
1: Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Ciarán Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. With rampant inflation, war in Ukraine and rising interest rates, are we heading for a global recession? Many commentators certainly believe so, and the Bank of England cautioned last week that the British economy was in danger of slipping into recession. In recent days, Bill Gates no less warned of a global downturn, while the European Central Bank has finally decided that it's time to raise its interest rates. Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times gives me his view, while our Washington correspondent Martin Wall relays the cost of living experience from the United States. But I started by asking Cliff Taylor if we're heading for a global recession.
0: Yeah, it's it's a really awkward one for the ECB, of As evidence by the way, they've changed their mind over the last few months. So, I mean, as of a few months ago, ECB President Christine Lagarde was sending out clear signals that she saw no need for an interest rate increase this year at all. And kind of the indications were that it would come early in 2023. But the huge increase in the rate of inflation partly due to the war in Ukraine, although it had been underway before that as well, has gradually forced the ECB to change tack. Also partly influenced by what you're talking about there, the Bank of England have started to increase rates. and The US Federal Reserve, of course, have increased as well and signaled very strongly that further rises are to come. So in the last few days, I think it's now certain uh, that the ECB is going to make its first move in, uh, in July and that the plan is that there's likely to be a series then of further interest rate increases uh, over the balance of the year. Now, the tricky bit for the ECB here, of course, is that the European economy is going to suffer from the war in Ukraine. Consumer and business confidence is already, you know, quite dodgy on the ropes in some in, in, in some economies. There are worrying signs of, uh, you know, the consumers are are being affected by the increase in cost of living. Their spending plans are down. Business investment plans are down. So uh, the problem for the ECB is that in the second half of this year, they could be trying to push up interest rates when the economy is slowing. And of course, higher interest rates will slow the economy even more. So politically, technically, economically, whatever way you want to look at it, this is an awkward one for the ECB. Uh, I think it still leaves some uncertainty there for Irish borrowers in terms of what rates are going to increase and when. There's no doubt that we're looking at an increase in interest rates uh, now, uh, that there's no question about that. And that the period of kind of zero rates is over, but just exactly where we're going now, I, I think is still is still open to question. Uh, you know, following that July increase and probably uh, probably a couple more in the in
1: the second half of this
0: year in the autumn, which I think are pretty much nailed on now.
1: So, uh, I mean, you know, what uh, kind of increase is is likely um, this year, Cliff? And what will it mean for consumers? You know, typically on the average mortgage, what's it going to mean? A lot of mortgages now, of course, are fixed, so. There won't be an initial hit for most mortgage holders, I guess, in the Irish market. If you're on variable, well, that's a different situation. But what's what's your assessment of what the increases might be and how many this year?
0: Yeah, it's a tricky one, but I think, insofar as we can we can look at it, I, I, the first thing that the ECB is going to move is is what's called its deposit rate. And that's the rate uh, that it it pays banks for 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 leaving money overnight with the with with the ECB. Uh, and it moved that into uh, into negative territory uh, over the last few years in, in a bid to try and get banks lending. So, you know, it costs banks now to leave money with the ECB, so there's an incentive for them to lend. That's now at minus 0.5%. So I think the indications that the markets are working on now is that that rate is going to move into positive territory by the end of this year. So it might be, say, quarter of a percent by the end of the year, half percent uh, maximum. Now, that's going to start influencing the interest rate market, if you like. Already, we've seen some lenders starting to nudge up their fixed income rates, their offers for new borrowers. So the ICS have have nudged up their rates, and Avant have nudged up their rates for new borrowers as well. So I think the first people that are going to be affected by this are are, are new borrowers. I, I think the second group that are going to be affected are those on, uh, on on variable mortgage rates at the moment, or those who are coming off fixed rates, if you like, and, and looking for their, for their next move in the market. Because I think the normal variable rates will start to increase as the ECB increases the deposit rate and as the whole general interest rate environment edges up over the rest of the year. The one that's hard to call is tracker rates. Tracker rates are tied to another ECB rate, which is called the refinancing rate. And it's not at all clear that that rate's going to go up in July. It may do. The indications up to now were that an increase in the refinancing rate would probably follow slightly later in the process. So in other words, the ECB would increase the deposit rate first and then follow with the refinancing rate increase. Insofar as one can read between the lines and what senior ECB figures are saying, that still seems to be the plan. So perhaps that rate might start to go up in the autumn and that's when we might see tracker rates um, people on existing tracker rates start to move up. But it's a tight call as to when and how quickly that will move. I think by the end of the year, the market is saying the deposit rate will move from minus 0.5 to, say, plus 0.25. So that's an increase of 0.75%. And then moving into next year, there's an expectation of further increases, uh, perhaps another percent percentage point over the course of next year. But, you know, markets don't have a very good record of uh, of forecasting interest rate increases. They've been very kind of sanguine in recent years, having got it wrong before that. Uh, and now really they're, they're kind of scratching around and trying to work out where rates will go. And if you look at what the experts are saying, there's a huge gap between those saying, look, look at what the Fed is doing, big increases are on the way on one side, and others who are saying, look, hold on a minute, the European economy could be in a recession in the second half of this year. That's going to put a stop to the ECB's gallop.
1: The, the increases may not be quite as significant. So real uncertainty there, I think. Martin Wall, you moved to Washington uh, in the US, what, six, seven months ago? Yep, that's correct. And w- what kind of cost of living increases have you seen over that time? It's been a busy period, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that the, we've noticed increases since we arrived. We certainly noticed increases are on arrival compared with Ireland. Washington particularly is a really expensive city to live in, both in terms of accommodation but the other interesting part of the other extraordinary part was food. The food prices are very, very high compared with Ireland in, in Washington, particularly uh, issues like meat, chicken, the eggs are, are very, very expensive compared much, much more expensive than, than, uh, than in Ireland. And in many cases, you would find products that would be maybe a dollar each more than you would actually pay in Ireland. And I, I can't. To say that that's universal across America. I could just say that's a that's a snapshot of Washington and Northern Virginia. But prices are, and talking to people who have moved here, uh, just like us, they noticed that, that prices are very expensive. And as Cliff was indicating there, I think that prices are going up. The um, inflation is a really, really big issue in America. Coming from a base where prices in Washington were high anyway, prices are increasing uh, remarkably. The inflation level for March the uh, year to March was a eight and a half percent. So um, there are some expectations among some people, some economists. Now it's difficult to divorce this from the politics as well, who suggest that the US is, all, are, is already heading toward recession. Some say it's in recession. Others say it's heading toward recession. But either way, there is a um, inflation is a big issue. And President Joe Biden knows that inflation is the issue that could kill the Democrats come elections. There are very big and very important elections taking place here in November. And that if the the Democrats, President President Biden's uh, party currently run uh, Congress, they control both houses of Congress and they could lose both. And if they do, the biggest threat coming into the election is inflation.
1: Yeah. So what's he doing about it, Martin? Because we have a package of measures introduced here to try and help people. With rising energy costs and, you know, we've had um, public transport fares have been cut and there have been other measures as well. Most European countries have introduced some sort of measures to try to alleviate the strain on consumers. What's Joe Biden's administration looking at?
2: Well, the big bellwether issue for inflation in America is the price of fuel, the price of petrol, in essence, gas, as they call it here. And what the Biden administration did was to try essentially flood the market with capacity. So basically, they had they had they released millions and millions of barrels of oil from their strategic reserves into the market on a daily basis. That reduced prices initially. However, in the last two weeks, the price of a gallon of fuel in many parts of this country has gone up by seventeen cent. Within two weeks, it is now at about four dollars thirty seven per gallon, which is record levels, record high levels. Now, in America, there is a lot of driving, as you can appreciate, in the summer. And a lot of people take driving holidays or take the cars and the distances are vast. So therefore, the amount of fuel that's used in the summer is quite a lot uh, for cars. So the fear then is, is that this, this will spike further. The other part, there's issues in relation to uh, the restrictions on the use of blends of ethanol and making fuel for cars. They have been relaxed to try and make put more into the market. So really, what the what the president on the on the issue of fuel, he's been doing is working on the supply side, seeking to uh, make more available. And the other part that he is very strong on is in relation to suggesting that there is some form of price gouging going on on the part of companies. He made a point yesterday. He had a big big presentation on inflation yesterday, and he made the point that. Um, there are some executives and some companies making earnings calls to investors on Wall Street, highlighting how much profit has been made at the moment, as he would see it off the back of ordinary people who are paying higher prices. His argument is, is that the the, um, the, the benchmark uh, rate for fuel in America has fallen below um, the $100 mark that it's down about 10% in the last few last uh, week or so, and that that has not translated into the forecourts that we're not seeing that in, in terms. So... Biden's argument is that there's profiteering essentially going on on the part of companies. Of course, the Republicans, his opponents, his political opponents, are using this as a big stick to beat him with. They argue that there's uh, that really it's all due to the inflation stems from the massive stimulus program that uh, the president and his party poured into the economy last year as to try recover, to cover or to stimulate it after the COVID uh, pandemic and there was, a you know, a trillion dollars plus was put into the, poured into the economy. Everyone in the country got a couple of thousand dollars uh, from the, from the, the exchequer. Biden's argument was, was that there were people, you know, there's a limited social security uh, net in, um, in America and there were people who couldn't work, were told to stay at home, to stay out of uh, meeting people or going out. And that there were people who without this money wouldn't have been able to put food on the table. So, The Republicans argue, well, this overheated the economy. This is due to and people are buying into that as an argument that there there there's a poll this week which suggested that uh, I think 55 percent of people believe that Biden's policies were actually harming the economy. So uh, that's the headwinds he's actually facing. The other areas in relation to food, as you talked about, again, he's pointing to um, he's pointing to uh, profiteering he argues this lack of competition he talks about the big meat process in america that there's only uh three or four uh, big players in the market and they dominate the the prices and he's trying to imp- uh they're trying to improve access for smaller players so to to, to generate competition as he uh biden has a a, a, a a motto essentially that he that he says quite regularly that uh, capitalism without competition is exploitation so it's very much on the supply side rather than on the way that is being uh, being carried out in Europe.
1: Yeah, and we see there's problems with baby formula as well, which Abbott's plant in Coot Hill seems to be uh, being out with a yeah, huge number of, uh, uh, or a lot of exports now going from Coot Hill and Cavan um, uh, to the United States to help out with this uh, shortage, which was from an issue uh, with an Abbott plant in the US. And, tins of uh, of baby milk powder are going for $120?
2: That's correct. There, there's a number of different elements to this, which is creating essentially a perfect storm. And as with most things in, in probably, not only in America, but in Ireland as well, that when there's a big problem, people blame the government. So Joe Biden is being blamed now for the lack of uh, baby milk formula in uh, in stores. But it is a big problem. Um, particularly Abbott, the company nutrition company, is a really big player in the market, in that particular market. And it also has contracts with the state in relation to providing this particular product for low-income families. They have an exclusivity or nearly exclusive exclusive, um, arrangement. So basically, uh, the plant, a big plant was shut down. There was a regulatory issues in relation to it and supply has dwindled. So as you say, there are particular types of formula that some particular mothers need for for their babies and they can't get it. And as you say, there are people, this being the home of capitalism, there are people auctioning supplies that they actually have. And we have seen uh, reports of um, tins of bay milk formula going for $115 on eBay. And then to the rescue are the, come the, the good people of Coot Hill, that Abbott has a plant in, um, in Cavan, as you say, and there are reports here that I don't think um, Abbott may necessarily have confirmed this in Ireland. There are reports here that they've increased by 50% the um, the level of exports to the to the United States. So that would presumably presuppose that either Abbott in Ireland are increasing their um, their, their capacity uh, for uh, production or else they're scaling back on exports elsewhere because what it appeared to be was that the the product produced in Ireland was generally destined for other markets, maybe Asia or, other, or elsewhere, but it is being certainly to redirected towards um towards America to try and there are flights with product arriving daily with a view to try deal with this problem. But it is a problem. It's being raised in the media, it's being raised in at the White House and the federal the, the Food and Drugs Administration, which basically regulates uh food products. Um, has issued a statement yesterday on it. So it's an issue that the president and his people are acutely aware it uh, could become a political problem if it's not addressed. But there are moves, um, as I say, largely to try to deal with the regulatory problem in the plant in Pennsylvania, but also to generate um, more capacity in the market, which is where um, the Irish exports from Cavan are coming into play.
0: With increasing pressures... Ireland CEOs are working hard to navigate the rapidly evolving business landscape.
2: The EY Ireland CEO Outlook Report takes a deeper dive into the topics that are on the minds of Irish CEOs at the moment, and importantly, the issues that leaders should be paying attention to. Discover the key actions to consider as you seek to reshape the future of your organisation at ey.com
0: ie slash CEO
1: let's talk about the irish economy the government has trimmed its forecast for this year but the economy is still growing and most commentators uh, still expect it to grow this year so what are the signals we should be looking for that uh, might tell us that things are going south for the irish economy uh, we know that inflation is rising obviously i think it was um it's it's running well over six percent uh, at, at the moment um but what are the other signals we should be looking at, at That'll indicate to us um, that we're heading for a recession.
0: Yeah, the interesting one, I suppose, the interesting ones in the last few weeks have been the confidence indicators. So consumer confidence and business confidence, the various indicators that come out have been quite weak. Now, I suppose the interesting thing is that they were also quite weak in the early days of the pandemic and indeed industrial production fell off a bit and then suddenly everything revived again and the extent of growth in 2021 has you know, taken everyone by surprise now we've entered this year in, uh, in in really strong shape. I think in in much stronger shape than than really could have been expected after the uh, after the pandemic, particularly unemployment, which is now back uh, remarkably at pre-pandemic levels. And while you know it's clear that there were going to be job shortages this year in some areas of the economy, we're we're looking at a an economy where there are job shortages in pretty much every area of the economy, including in the sectors that were closed for large parts of the pandemic and pressure on wages then. So I think you know I was talking to somebody uh, involved in the political system there a few weeks ago and uh, he was saying look the confidence indicators are going one way and the growth indicators are going the other but at some stage the two have to meet. So I think we we need to watch the confidence indicators. We need to look and see if they're going to kind of settle and start to revive in the next few months. And if they don't I think um the real economy you know is likely to suffer. I mean People's incomes are being really seriously squeezed now, uh there's no doubt about that uh you know right across the board. The figures show that this has spread from just energy you know to a, to a lot of other things as well uh we've now have mortgages you know coming down the tracks, say for example, that mortgage rates are half a point higher by the end of this year that's you know that's another sixty or seventy euro a month. you know it might be the same again in the early months of next year, so that just increases the squeeze a bit more on on people's incomes. So I think that's bound to have an impact on uh, on spending. It does leave, I suppose, the the parts of the economy that had to close, the tourism sector, the restaurants and all those kind of, kind of in the firing line again. On the flip side, there are, as we know, huge savings built up after the, the pandemic, which could act as a cushion for a considerable period of time. So, you know, it's, it is in the balance, but I think you have to see the likelihood that the economy is going to start coming off the boil in the second half of this year unless some way is found to, uh, to end the war pretty quickly and energy prices start to reverse. For now, that doesn't look likely. And I think even on any credible kind of path to, to, to ending the conflict, things aren't going to go back to the way they were before. We're, you know, we are looking at higher energy prices. We are looking at higher inflation. We are looking at all the challenges to try and get that down that, that, you know, that, that are now being discussed every day.
1: Yeah, sure. The Irish economy, of course, is uh, unique, I guess, in the European context because we have such a large multinational effect here and the multinationals kept the economy growing through the pandemic because exports of pharma products and, and other uh, products as well, tech and so on, um, life sciences and what have you, it really kept the economy ticking over. Now, obviously, if the global economy is going to go into recession, you have to imagine that's going to have an impact on on our exports by multinationals, so uh, that will begin to uh, to to bite on on the Irish economy.
0: Yeah, I mean that was, I guess, the surprise of the pandemic the the success with which those sectors kept going, uh, with only kind of the slightest of blips maybe early in twenty twenty. And of course, a lot of those are service companies as well, um, and, and you know they were particularly successful right through the pandemic. So there does seem to be a lot of momentum. In that part of the economy, uh, and that's good, and you think that's going to keep the figures reasonably strong. Certainly, moving into the second half of this year, recent income tax figures have, you know, were extraordinary on 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 uh, you know whatever um, whatever calibration you wanted to use to judge them on. But yeah, you're right. Um, you know, the world economy, There is increasing talk of recession in the US, recession in Europe, decreasing confidence. That's got to start. That has to start hitting the multinational sector here. Talking to people advising those companies, you're just starting to hear things like, you know, companies are just starting to hold off. They're just starting to wait a few months before going ahead with new projects. Uh, they're calculating you know, the markets mightn't be as good. We're paying a lot more for staff than we used to. So things are just, start, I think, starting to come off the boil. And, we, we, you know, we may be at a turning point in terms of the multinational sector as well. I think they can live with the higher energy prices up to a point. Uh, it is starting to squeeze them at the moment. It is, I think, starting to lead to some product lines being discontinued or uh, or scaled back because they just don't make sense anymore. Uh, but I think what would really be problematic is if there's any interruption to supply uh, due to the war in Ukraine. Uh, talking to people, uh, you know, involved in kind of advising manufacturing companies and 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 watching them, that is the thing that that they really fear that there's some disruption to supply because when you have companies pumping out. You know, millions every day in um, in product. Uh, the cost of any kind of interruption would be really significant. Uh, you know, no no sign of that happening so far, but of course, there is a lot of nervousness about um, about Russia and what might happen with the war. And of course, supply disruption might come not only from an actual physical stop or a restriction to supply, but also just from prices becoming unaffordable. Say, for example, if uh, if gas from Russia was cut off for a period, and Europe has to adjust. So there are those worries, unknowns, you know, completely unpredictable at this stage. Things we never thought we'd be talking about, but, uh,
1: but here we are and the war is still going on. Yeah. Martin Wall, the American stock market had a bit of a wobble last week. The s and I think, down 5%.
2: Yeah, the stock market has been going up and down quite a lot in recent times. And I think it just reflects the volatility that people don't know what is really going to happen as uh, there's a lot of uncertainty, as Cliff was saying there in relation to costs, to energy, to uh, supplies. You know, one of the issues that, you know, Cliff was talking there about shortage of uh, supplies for feeding into the um, economy. The president here maintained that last year one third of the in, of, of inflation in America was due to um, cars, basically increases in cars. And that was particularly linked to a shortage of computer chips. So one product led to the shortage of one product line led to inflation in another and then fed into the general inflation in the economy. So there's a big issue in relation to building uh, resilience in, this, in the market here. But I think if there is issues in relation to supplies, as Cliff was saying, it could have uh, significant implications. Just one of the pieces, that, you know, just as Cliff was saying there, that we also have to bear in mind as well is that we are now heading into potentially areas where we look at wages of inflation, wage spirals. And there's probably very few people at political level, at business level, at economics levels who are still working, who were around in the 1970s for that kind of wage spirals. And uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, where that goes in relation to the issue involving pay, both in America and in Ireland, as in Ireland for example the government is now heading into um, talks with the public service unions about pay for 360,000 uh, people across the public sector so where will that mean where will inflation uh, can the government afford can governments afford or can companies afford to uh, to meet pay demands of 8 6 7 8 9% to match inflation and if so what the, what are the implications of those so the issue of the um, the link between inflation and wages will probably be another issue featuring the economy in the the, the months ahead.
1: Yeah, what about that point, uh, Cliff? The government is entering into early stage talks, isn't it, with the public sector uh, unions here, and a lot of pressure on private sector employers as well to increase their rates. We've seen the banks uh, doing some deals with staff uh, in the last uh, number of weeks, Uh, and a lot of pressure on from people to say, listen, if my energy bill is going up by hundreds of euro uh, this year, if I'm paying over 300 quid extra for my groceries uh, this year, and I'm going to have to pay more for my mortgage, I'm going to need to earn more money, so you're going to have to give me a substantial pay increase.
0: Yeah, I think uh, it's inevitable that wages are going to start uh, start drifting, drifting higher. We saw it last year, starting up due to the pressure in the jobs market. Uh, there are shortages in, in so many sectors now that I think, in a lot of areas, employees have the whip hand or have a strong position to play from. Uh, employers are desperate to keep staff are struggling to get new staff struggling to hold on to staff so yeah i think wages are wages are going to increase and i i suppose the question is trying to find a place to strike a balance and this is the key question in the public sector wage deals as well um i don't think there's any question that the existing deal was was, was going to cut it um and of course there's a, a new deal due to be starting next year and the government will want to push things forward uh, for as long as possible to see where inflation might settle. Uh, but I think the, um, the days of low single-figure increases are, are, are gone. Um, the, I think the challenge for the government and for employers is to, uh, is to balance this against competitiveness, uh, to look at what's happening in other markets across Europe, and to try and make sure that Ireland stays kind of somewhere in line with, uh, with, with, with other countries. You know there are signs that wage increases are just starting to take up across Europe as well. and um, certainly happening in the UK, certainly happening in the states, uh, and it's a big issue for employers because costs in a whole lot of other areas are going up as well. Particularly for manufacturers, uh, looking at inputs, some of the uh, some of the stories that you hear are extraordinary. Even for service companies, for little, for restaurants, uh, talking to someone. Recently about the price of sourcing coffee, which has gone up by a multiple. And all those kind of things uh, are are, are just shooting higher. The cost of building, the cost of supplies. So employers are facing big pressures across the board. I think uh, profit's under pressure. Share price is going to stay under pressure.
1: Market's going to stay nervous until this all settles down a bit. Can we afford it? There's going to be a huge extra bill for the government to pay. We obviously, we know they're going to have to pay billions um to house uh, the thousands of refugees that are coming to us uh, from Ukraine. Uh, and, okay, the pandemic supports have ended, but, um, you know, still a lot of um, the special 9% VAT rate is going to continue. So that's a hit. I think Pascal Dunia has put that as a hit of 500 million euro in terms of uh, tax take. So still a lot of hits around.
0: Yeah, there is. I mean... The exchequer figures for the first quarter of the year were 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 way at, well ahead of target, and I think that was reflected in um, how quickly the government kind of gave in on the nine percent VAT rate extension. Uh, but I think it was significant that they extended it just to February of next year, um, and you know, I think that's probably reflects the thinking by the by the spending and economic ministers that the numbers are going to be okay for this year. That the momentum of tax revenues is so strong. Um, and, and there is money kind of behind the, uh, behind the sofa in uh, various reserve funds that can be deployed, uh, that the numbers for this year are going to be okay. But you're right. There's a lot of, a lot of numbers now, a lot of extra costs adding up uh, and, and a lot of potential, I think, question marks over revenue in various areas. So it could tighten considerably next year, I think. And I think it would be really interesting to see in October where we are. Uh, coming up to budget time in terms of uh, the budget sums, the outlook for next year. Uh, We keep our fingers crossed that the um, corporate tax, the gift that keeps on giving, uh, keeps going. (laughs) But one of these years, uh, it's going to let us down, uh, maybe not by collapsing, but just not by increasing uh, exponentially as it has been doing. So um, I think this year will be okay, public finance-wise. I think there's a lot of leeway there. But I think it could turn fairly quickly moving into next year, and we've seen, you know, over history how quickly the public finance picture can 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 turn in Ireland if uh, if there's a kind of relatively small,
1: in the overall scheme of things, pressures on spending and and and
0: hits to revenue.
1: Yeah, we saw last week latest accounts for the main Apple subsidiary in Ireland, indicating that it paid corporate tax of eight and a half billion. Yeah, I mean,
0: the yeah uh, the yeah the. Um, the tax take of the big players is uh, is incredible and um, our reliance on a few of those players is just growing all the time. Um, taking an optimistic view, the fact that they've moved a lot of their intellectual property assets here, you would hope might anchor some of those um, tax revenues kind of over a medium term kind of outlook the next four or five years. Um, a lot of the income deriving from those has been protected by tax shelters and and and, uh, you know in their early years but those allowances will run out and you hope increases there might kind of make up for any kind of fall off elsewhere in corporate tax revenue so there is a possibility that corporate tax revenues will hang in here uh, despite OECD deals despite everything but you know we have an increasing number of our eggs in that basket now and an increasing number not only reliant on whatever finally comes out of the OECD deal but also on the the fortunes of, you know, five, six, seven really big companies, um,
1: you know, whether the new iPhone sales, how Facebook does, <laughs> um, who knows. Yeah, Martin. Before we go, can I just ask you about the Northern Ireland Protocol? We had assembly elections in Northern Ireland last week. Uh, Sinn Féin coming out as the uh, party with the largest number of seats for the first time, so they have the right to appoint a first minister. But. A, Question over whether an executive will be formed, because the DUP, um, obviously very concerned about uh, the Northern Ireland Protocol, and Britain and the EU having discussions about the Northern Ireland Protocol. How engaged is the administration in the US on this issue? It's a very important issue, obviously, for Ireland. Well, it's
2: not the biggest item on the news agenda in America. However, within the administration, it is very important. Everybody knows that the president is engaged in this issue. Everybody knows he considers it to be important. Therefore, there's a lot of lobbying going on for his particular ear on this particular issue. Uh, this week in America, and uh, there are a there are a couple of ministerial visits. Uh, Lord Frost, the former negoti- the former British chief negotiator on the Brexit deal, is speaking at the Conservative Heritage Foundation uh, think tank tomorrow on it. Uh, there are reports uh, last night in British media that a they that Whitehall had sent a team of a diplomatic team to Washington this week to brief uh, American politicians on what they were on what they're thinking is regarding this idea of introducing domestic legislation to override the protocol. Uh the, there was a kickback in, uh, immediately from the Irish American lobby. Uh, two prominent Irish American politicians last night wrote a letter directly to Liz Truss the British Foreign Secretary saying basically that any move down this road would undermine the Good Friday Agreement and would uh, could lead to could threaten the peace in Northern Ireland. So I think there's uh, the fact that the British authorities are devoting energies and sending diplomatic teams and sending ministers to Washington shows how they view the importance of the Washington angle of this whole story. So and they they do know that the issue of the uh, the the president and his interest in that area is 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 quite high, and in the background there is the issue of a potential trade deal between the UK and America and whether that would be facilitated over uh, the in the immediate term if there is any threat to the Good Friday Agreement. The, the Speaker of the House of uh, Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, the Irish-American lobby in Congress, including uh, Richard Neal, who chairs the Ways and Means Committee, through which any trade deal has to pass, have absolutely ruled out that there will be any trade deal in the event of um, a threat to the Good Friday Agreement. So the issue really is, is that um, have the the are the British prepared to roll the dice, risk the trade deal? They may have priced in that there is no prospect of a trade deal uh, this side of the November elections, anyway. But even if the Republicans take control in November, the president will be there. For the next three years, anyway, until January at least, until January twenty twenty four. So, um, there's a uh, sorry, January twenty twenty five. So it uh, it remains to be seen, but it is a very very big issue, and will get will be a a big issue um behind the scenes in diplomatic and political circles. I imagine over the next couple of weeks.
1: Cliff, what's your reading? Us, uh, we'll maybe finish on this uh, point. Negotiations taking place between the European Union. Uh, And the UK, hard to believe we're still talking about Brexit uh, all these years on from the actual vote. But there you go. The Irish sea border um, situation is is still rumbling on. There's a few years of it
0: yet, I'm afraid, Kieran to go, my fear. Uh, Yeah, there's real concern in Dublin. um, A real feeling kind of picked up over the last couple of days uh, that London, that the Johnson government has decided to go for this, despite the risks uh, and the obvious ones that Martin outlined. It's kind of hard to see where they're coming from here, but um it obviously will be some time before any legislation that's published, any domestic legislation will go through um would go through the process in the UK. Uh and would it be passed and uh, in what form would it be passed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And in that window, you know, you could be looking at a a summer of bickering between the EU and the UK, with the EU threatening to uh to end the uh end the withdrawal trade deal. Uh, perhaps to impose some tariffs on uh, on UK exports as a result of that, uh, and the UK shouting that you know it's it's unreasonable uh, the, the controls on, on goods coming from the uh, coming from uh, Britain into Northern Ireland. So, a lot of concern in, in Dublin about this, uh, about the political implications in Northern Ireland in particular, the prospects for the Assembly, uh, you know, the longer term position of where and when and if this whole thing is going to settle you know the the protocol deal i i guess was reached in haste as a way of trying to uh trying to get the brexit deal done if you like uh it suited europe at that stage uh because of you know it took a no deal brexit off the table it suited boris johnson's political means you know get brexit done and all that but what was left hanging at that stage was that none of the details were worked out uh and i think the risks of that strategy uh, are now are now laid bare if you like uh and unfortunately the uk is despite having signed up to the deal uh are now arguing that they did something else back then and that it was always up for negotiation where i think it was clear that while well, the details were up for
1: negotiation that the the principles weren't all right very good we'll see how that plays out cliff taylor and martin wall thank you for joining us okay that's it for this week from inside business my thanks to cliff taylor and martin wall for joining me on the show. This episode was produced by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.